Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, madam of a secret society, author of Permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and remove the mask. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I'm your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have a completely wild guest. Her name is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Kimberly is a sexological body worker, somatic experiencing practitioner, yoga teacher, postpartum advocate, and single mom. Working hands-on in integrative women's health and trauma recovery for more than a decade, she helps women heal from birth injuries, gynecological surgeries, and sexual boundary violations. Kimberly is the author of the forthcoming book, Call of the Wild, How We Can Heal Trauma, Awaken Our Own Power, and Use It for Good, as well as the early mothering classic, The Fourth Trimester. And she's also the host of the Sex, Birth, and Trauma podcast. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. You and I have known, just known of each other, I think, through the traps um, and the work over the years. It started with me being aware of your work as a sexological body worker and somatic experiencing practitioner. And I started to follow you and piped up one day and said, I'm a sexological body worker too. (laughs) And um, it turns out we both trained with Deej and Uma through the Institute of Somatic Sexology in Australia, but in separate years. And in the meantime, I have been witnessing you and your work just soar and reach so many people in so many ways. It's been such a joy. Something I don't reference specifically often, but mentally give a lot of credit to in so many ways is going through the sexological bodywork training. I know you've known the body and the nervous system through a variety of mediums, but I was really curious, are you able to parse out that specific training and how it's buoyed the work that you're doing now? Definitely. I love Deej and Uma so much. Uh, I think they are truly dynamic, skilled, mm-hmm. probably the best facilitators that I've ever worked with. Um, I considered doing it again just to be in their container because they're so prepared, so um, spontaneous, also so deeply embodying everything that they teach. And yeah, I can parse out a lot. I mean, It was the biggest unshaming process that I've ever been through, both the preparation to come to the course, the course itself. I'd never been around a lot of sex workers. Um, That was an education in and of itself, just breaking down so many internal, external and internal stereotypes that I had about what sex work is. Um, I had never been casually around naked people, so it really allowed me to uncouple nudity and sexuality. Um, 
I mean, I could go on and on. There were so many revelatory experiences. It was so well titrated. DJ Numa haven't, maybe by now, this was five years ago when I did the training. By now, I think they have sought out more trauma work, but just the way that they, they were trauma informed without knowing how to be trauma informed mm. because they're, they have so much gravitas and lived experience. Um, the one thing that it didn't have a lot of was in my 10 day training, there was really only one day with vulvas. And for me, that really stood out because it was like, I went there already working with women, working with mothers. And I was really specifically interested in helping that that was the population that I'm interested in helping. So um, that was interesting, but I still think that it's a huge part of who I am, how I operate in the world and what has contributed to the value that I can offer. Yeah, incredible. And I'm um, I'm nodding along with you. I got full body goosebumps when you were referencing Dijon Uma as being, um, or I, I see them as, you know, cream of the crop, just the most, um, the facilitators that I've come across with the most integrity and will just, yeah, just cannot vouch for their work enough. And um it complicates yeah, things because actually when you think about sexological bodywork as a field, now people are really interested in what my training is and want to do it. And it's like, well, I always really value practitioners over modalities, although there's very few mm. modalities that include genitals. But as far as people who want to be trained, I'm always just like make like get to Australia. And it's not yes. that I don't think that the other trainers are good and DJ Numa has have really helped some of the other trainers like Katie and Keon. And um, I know that there's good work being done in other places, but I just feel like having the masculine and the feminine, having two people that care so much deeply about each other, but aren't romantically involved. And then Mm. how that ripples out and, and just so many great layers. And, you know, we use this word embodiment all the time, embodiment, embodiment. And, in a way, it's re- a redundant word because there's no other way for us to be but mm. in bodies We are in, as long as we're in human form. Until you're actually in the space of people who are living a bottom-up wildness reality and feeling that all the time from them. Um, because, you know, I really didn't even see Deej and Uma get stressed during the 10-day course. And there were a lot of weird stuff that happened. There was a lot of people who needed extra support and, um, you know, different kinds of things that happen when you get 35 people from around the world together. Uh, but I just, you know, I contrast that with my somatic experiencing training, which is a wonderful training also has changed a lot over the last 20 years, who goes to it, how it's taught, what the credentials are for the teachers, People need to be more credentialed now, which from the outside, most people think is really great. But I think from the inside, I love getting somatic experiencing work from people who only do somatic experiencing. So people who have experience that are dancers or body workers or massage therapists that aren't coming from the psychology realm. Uh, mm. That's my personal preference. And uh, and there can be this tendency to just sort of clip on the embodiment label like, oh, like yeah, I have a master's in social work and I'm now I'm studying embodiment. It's like embodiment is who we are and how we Mm. interact with the world. It's not something that we, it's not a specialty training, you know, like, Oh, 
I'm all these things and I do EMDR and I do SE and I do, you know, whatever. And it's like, and, and people think that about me, they go, well, you're a rolfer and a yoga teacher and a birth doula and all these things, which is true. But those aren't, those aren't accessories to what I do. They're foundational to what I offer. Mm -hmm. So I just, in the somatic experiencing training, which is three years, there is so little about sexuality. I mean, in an entire three-year training, which was about 36 days total, there was a half of a day for sexuality. So, wow. and, and it was not embodied. It was filled with just, and, and you, just, you just realize through that that none of us have a decent sexuality education that's rooted in pleasure and relating. So then mm. if you're layering on top of that, the authority figure of like we, the healed teachers to you, the traumatized students, and then most people who come who want to do trauma work want to do it because they healed their own trauma. So it makes them want to help other people, which is awesome. As long as you're not just always relating to that same level of wounding. So it was a great marriage, the two trainings, because one is obviously almost exclusively dealing with sexuality. And, and while Deej and Uma themselves led a very titrated, very tight container. And, and I've heard about what happens in a lot of other trainings. And when I hear about oh, it, I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, I know that I wouldn't oh, have been able to yep. do well inside of it. Yep. But even so, when I was working with people in partnerships, I could tell like, oh, we need to do this other work right now. We can't just like skip to this erotic massage or skip to this other thing. We need to actually deal with just the small piece that's presenting itself right now. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. Like net, you might've seen next month, May 15th and 16th, I'm teaching with Peter Levine and he wanted to call it healing the sacred wound. And I said, can we call it the transformative power of Eros? Because I want to teach people I don't want to only be in reference to the ruptures because I believe that we can heal the ruptures through having positive, reparative, present moment experiences. And then healing the ruptures isn't something that's pathologized that you have to go and like dig around in. It might be, mm. but you can actually just, when we have great information about not just bodies, but our own bodies, and we have real time chances for exploration. I think there's a lot of healing that can be done just doing that. And that's what I found. Yeah, completely. Yes. Nodding along here. And there's something that you said earlier on, and it just made me think about simplicity and the simplicity of just being on your own, dancing on your own to a song can be you in your body. It can be you being, that is you embodied. And I think we can overcomplicate it and think that we need to do a program that is several years to teach us to be embodied, but I don't think that it's always necessary. And you will see people, anyone who is an exceptional practitioner or teacher or mentor will remind you all the time to simply breathe. And that is you being in your body. So I just want to make sure that the listeners are hearing that you don't have to actually do all of these things to be embodied and to not use it as, as um, you know, as a snappy catchphrase that you can simply be in your body when you 
have a moment and you make a decision to be in your body and to move or to breathe or to make touch or do sound or do all of the above um, altogether. It's not something that's elitist. It's not something that you can only attain through moving in certain circles. I just want everyone to know that that you you already are embodied and you can be even more embodied if you choose to be. Definitely. Mm. Um, Kimberly, on this podcast, I, being the Secrets Women Keep, I am always interested in the bathroom store moments that women have. And bathroom store moments are those moments where basically it feels like everything in front of you is breaking down, falling apart, you're trying to hold it all together. Um, you kind of, usually in a bathroom store moment, it's like you want to be seen by someone, but you simultaneously want to be invisible. It's like, everyone leave me alone and I'm in this and no one else would understand. I feel like you might've tapped into some bathroom store moments in your first book, the fourth trimester. But what I'd really like to ask right now is, have you ever had a bathroom store moment and feel free to substitute it with the car or being on a plane or the office stall, anything at all? I cry a lot all the time. So it's sort of hard to isolate an experience um, because also the biggest, there were way more than bathroom stall moments. They were like deepest part of the underworld moments have become the biggest work of my life in my, in these books and in other work. So Yeah, it's hard. I don't know if you have a category, but you know, I mean, about two years ago, right after I got this book deal for Call of the Wild, How We Heal Trauma, this book that just came out April 13th, I had decided before I got the book deal that I was going to move to New York from San Diego. And I, then I was like, that's crazy. You can't write a book and move and be a single parent all at the same time. So I made the rational choice and I thought, okay, I'm not going to move. And if I stay here, I'm going to be here for two years because my daughter's going into seventh grade and I shouldn't be taking her in and out of school. And then I just got super depressed and like was waking up sort of with dread. And it made no sense because I'm Mm -hmm. like, I have a healthy child. I have a beautiful apartment. My work is going well. I have a book deal. Like what is going on? And then I called one of my best friends and I was talking to her and she was like, you know, you weren't feeling this way when you were going to move to New York. And my response to her was fuck you because I knew she was right. And I was like, okay, so now (laughs) I know I have to move. And how am I going to do this? How am I going to move and meet a writing deadline? But the minute that I realized that was what, what my soul was telling me that I had to do that, then it was just like, okay, now you just have to figure it out. And my particular path just doesn't really allow me to make those kind of frontal cortex decisions. So when I had decided like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like you shouldn't move because that's not going to work. It was like, yeah, but everything in my soul was telling me to move. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's kind of what you mean. I mean, I had another one in college where I was, it was my senior year of college. I was a transfer student because I was sexually assaulted when I was an undergraduate at my first university and I just couldn't do well there anymore. So 
I took some time off and then I went to a new school. And since I was a transfer student, I didn't have as much time to make relationships with professors. And at the time, I thought I wanted to go to grad school. So I just really focused on the work of a couple of professors because I thought, okay, let me just get like I did independent study with this one and I was studying race in the diaspora. And so I thought, okay, let me just really know because then I'll then I'll have great recommendations from a couple of people. So I graduate. I graduated first in my class, go to graduation, give my valedictory speech. Ironically, Bill Cosby was the person giving our keynote or whatever. Mm. Um, and then my professor asked me to come to his office the next day. And so I go to his office and he has a book to give me as a gift. And he comes on to me and basically tells me that if I won't kiss him and sleep with him, that he's not going to write my college recommendations, my grad school recommendations. And I wanted to go to Princeton to study with Cornell West. And basically, it wasn't really a bathroom stall moment. It was like a split second decision where I basically had to decide, like, am I going to do this? Because I really, really want this. I didn't, I didn't want to go to any other graduate programs. And I knew I had no one else that was going to give me any recommendations. So do I do this? Or do I like act in my own integrity and like leave, leave it behind? And it was a choice point. And I walked out of his office and I remember throwing the book he gave me in a dumpster. And I went home to my um, apartment where my boyfriend at the time was and just was in complete shock because I had had the earlier trauma and trying to work that out with him and what should I do? And yeah, so there's been, there's been a lot of them. Mm. And how did that, or did that moment inform the rest of your work and your path and what you chose to focus on? Well, at that time, then I just, I was a dancer. So once it was like the grad school of my choice was off the table, I was already going to take a year off to dance, but then it was like, okay, well, I'm just diving a hundred percent into that. Mm. I also had I had something that I needed to work out with male authority because mm. there's some people that men don't fuck with. And there was something about me that made him feel there was an opening to do that. And there was something disarmed in me that didn't just like bite his hand or tell or like confront him and instead and say, like, what are you doing? You know, what I did was avoid and flee. And, you know, that's a good survival strategy but more effective and and perhaps maybe not fracturing the relationship would have just been like, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Mm. Like, don't do that. Don't be an idiot. And then being able to transmute that, you know, so that I could have potentially defended myself and gotten what I needed. Yeah. But instead I was too far habituated in a freeze response and a flea response that um, that was the best that I could do at the time. Yeah. And, you know, my whole book is about that because I've had to, to understand again and again, how these freeze and flight responses specifically in my case are so ingrained in my system. And how do I get into that layer of fight where from the very beginning, I can advocate for myself. It just happened the other day with my parents. Uh, I watched it all happen in slow motion. They, on Easter, my sister made dinner reservations and she didn't make reservations enough for me and my daughter. And then I said, well, can't you change the reservations? And they were like, no, we can't. 
And so what happened was throughout the day, I just got madder and madder and feeling like they should just know, like it's, it's a holiday and it's one that we mm. only celebrate three holidays. Like what mm. you do as head of a family is you change the reservations and you, or you say, we're not going to go out to dinner. Let's all cook together. You make it work so that everyone can participate. But the fact of the matter is, if I would have thrown a tantrum at the beginning and just said, this isn't going to work, like you can't go. Yes, I do want you to cancel the reservation. And this is what needs to happen. What happened instead is they went and then they were like, well, we're sorry. We asked once we got to the restaurant. And I'm like, well, what what's going to happen once you already get to the restaurant? Like, I mean, I can, what I'm going to get in my car and drive as fast as I can to your house. And so then I ended up getting super, super mad about it to them and just saying like, that's so messed up, like, and saying what I've already said to you. And then they were like, you're mad at us? Like, what do you mean? We didn't make the reservations. And it's like, well, who has the authority here? Like, mm. but if I was, if I had more of my fight responses intact, I would have just told them right away, this is unacceptable. And yes, I do want you to change the reservation rather than being like, well, I think you should try or, you know, everyone was pawning it off on someone else, basically. Yes. Yeah. Everyone was in their own response. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good, I mean, your book, we're going to go there now. Your book, um, I'm quite speechless, but I love, I love the example that you just gave because it is, it is a repetitive everyday situation where we're not necessarily fighting for our lives but those old primal brain fear responses kick in and dictate how much pleasure we feel connection joy embodiment everything else your your book (laughs) oh my god um it's epic it is a must read for everyone when it's released in australia i'm going to be handing out copies like nothing else i would go so far as to say it is one of the most important books for 2021 and beyond um there are so many things that I love about it. I can't wait to reread it as an actual book. I um, read it on my phone, which um, I didn't feel was the, um, it was the the experience that was before me, but it was like, I would highly recommend to everyone to actually purchase it as a book. So I can't wait to reread it in that format. But your voice is this anchor of compassion and clarity. And that balance is so necessary for what patterns and stress cycles people need to shift out of. I love the format. I love the flow. I love the density of the book. The exercises (laughs) are so accessible and doable. And what I really valued was the words and the concept that we can start wherever we are right now. I think that's incredibly empowering for the reader when trauma wants you anywhere but in the now. My question for you is, Kimberly, is now the best place to start when it comes to your nervous system and how you operate in the world or are there exceptions to this? I would start with, I mean, where else are we going to start? <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> the only place we can start. Are there modalities out there that don't start in the now though? They start by looking back. Like what? Like a lot of therapy starts, a lot of talk therapy starts by 
looking back and oh. yeah I just I just wondered like I loved that message you actually say we can start wherever we are right now and I wondered um I com- I I completely stand by that I'm just wondering if um if there are any exceptions for any people's trauma or nervous system where you wouldn't start right now well there's always exceptions for everything and so people have to use their own inner compass most of the people that i relate to are so sick of talking they're so sick of analyzing their families they're sick of hearing themselves talk um they don't feel like much is changing by going back and analyzing different things uh I don't think that means that talk therapy is not useful. Um, Certainly as humans, we're looking for coherent narratives. And, you know, I wouldn't say that. I mean, nothing, no one thing is for everyone. Mm. But I was thinking of exceptions. Like I was like, well, would this be good for someone who's just in a car accident? Or what about if someone's in the middle of something? It's you still start in the now. It just depends on what you're doing in the now. Are you doing just like the nine one one of really, you know, centering, eating warm foods, swaddling, you know, contact, or does someone have enough resourcing in the moment that you could go into a deeper layer? But the body is usually the thing that's not being heard. And it's the thing that's knocking on the psyche door to be heard. So I can't really, plus pretty much all indigenous earth-based cultures have inbuilt rituals already as part of life that we've Mm. just in white overculture lost. So Mm. to me, it wouldn't, it would like, yeah, because it's part of just your humanness. It's part of being a human animal that you would be relating to your environment, the earth and other mammals around you. Yeah. Yeah. And that there'd be an acknowledgement of the phases and stages of life and death that, um, that maybe we in white urban culture aren't acknowledging or celebrating or grieving over. And that's one of the reasons why, we are. Um, we do have these these modalities where we're looking back so much to, um, yeah, to make to try and reconcile what's happened um, or how we're hurt. Or I'm just yeah, just sorry, just just going off what you're saying. I'm just I'm just putting that putting that out there. But um, yeah, but really, it feel it feels like and it feels like in the book that coming into your body in the now as you are where you stand is to give you that sense of agency is one of the most powerful actions you can take. Yeah, we need other people, not just in terms of a session, but in terms of how we're living and structuring our lives, because that's part of our social nervous system is to be able to get mirroring. And I think that's what a lot of people are suffering from a year into the pandemic is just that we haven't really had much mirroring and that Mm. impacts us. Mm. Yeah. And, and from that point of view, when we're just looking at relationality, 
then it doesn't really matter what the modality is if the relationality is really strong and intact. But if we want to get below the layer of relationality where we have trust, then we, we can start getting into the sympathetic and the parasympathetic responses under stress and start to repair some of them so that we don't require so much relational interface from in a from a practitioner standpoint because there's already that secure attachment then we can do the repair work so i think i mean i wasn't being facetious like there really isn't any other place to start mm. but now and the body will retrieve the earlier things it needs to in the present moment with the right conditions so mm. we can trust rather than going to our session and you know knowing i'm imagining people here have, have had experiences i mean i know like my first meditation retreat that i went on i was 19 and i went on a 10 day vipassana sit which is a trauma reaction in and of itself i had no meditation training at all and i went from never meditating or trying to teach myself from a suzuki roshi book to sitting 14 hours a day with several of those hours in complete stillness but i went in to solve a problem i went in because i had been sexually assaulted i felt like my world got turned upside down i felt like i didn't know who i was i wasn't sure if i could take care of myself i was a young adult like am i going to make it in this world and so i thought i was going to like solve that problem and i went in and i had you know a experience that to this day i can remember a lot of it and i can remember a lot of the teachings but i didn't solve that particular problem and i think that therapy can tend to be like that is like well i'm going in to deal with like my quote unquote bad relationships or whatever or you know i attract the same kind of person or um my relationship to my mom or whatever but your own patterning is going to show up in the moment and it's your physiology that's even retrieving the content that you're talking about so if you showed up and you did a kind of breath that made you more activated you would be likely to state certain content and share it with certain language whereas if you showed up and you did a different kind of a breath that was maybe a more equalizing breath you would talk about that thing completely differently so mm. when we our state is going to determine and that's something that Stephen Porges said in when he authored polyvagal theory is that our story follows the state but what we do is we pile on all these affirmations and we talk to people about like their mindset and we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and even yoga and meditation is like deal with your mind which is not your brain but still it's like it's it's all of this cognition focus mm -hmm. and really what we're talking about is like your nervous system is actually the switch the master switchboard that's even kicking these things up to the surface mm. um your my my work revolves a lot around women removing the masks they wear to access their fullest expression and in talking about masks we're talking about a lot of ingrained patterning and primal brain fear responses that they default to in order to navigate the world and it's interesting two of the masks that i witness women wear a lot of are the masks of 
perfection and the mass of palatability. It's like it's basically the fawn response. And if anyone listening isn't familiar with the fawn response or what I um, I understood as the tendon befriend response, it's where you operate in a certain way that you think will appease others or cement your belonging in what you're in a context or with people that your nervous system interprets as a situation where you don't feel completely safe to be you. Now, women wear a lot of masks to navigate their way in the world. And as your book highlights, we wear these masks out of self-protection and and from a, well, often from a trauma response, big trauma, little trauma. What I observed in myself in my formative years and what I see in other women is that our wild wasn't safe. So we repressed it and maybe drank or used drugs where it would be unleashed and we'd be on this pendulum of high voltage expression without the healthy discharge and then revert back to our shell or just go back into our place that's uncomfortable but comfortable. It's like we're looking for sovereignty, which you reference throughout Call of the Wild, but we struggle to be in the healthiest expression of sovereignty. I was wondering, Kimberly, can you share one thing that listeners can do to step out of fawn response and into sovereignty? Yeah, so I heard you say that you, what do you call that mask? Palatability? Yeah, palatability. It's just like... So I'm palatability fit in. is more like the fitting in response. Yeah, um, yeah. So the fitting in response is a little different from the fawning response. The fitting in response is camouflaging, minimizing yourself, and doing so to fit in in either your family, your relationship, your religion, your culture. Um, that could be not earning more than everyone or not earning less than everyone. That could be... Um, racial assimilation that could be um you know not not choosing a different kind you know being an entrepreneur when everyone else works in a certain kind of structured workplace fawning is when you are appeasing so you're you don't your need you don't have any concept of what your needs are because you're just doing what the person in that has more structural power has you're mm-hmm. doing it so that you can approximate to that power to stay safer. Mm. So to me, that's more like code switching. That's more like, um, you know, you, you learn how to speak or behave or, but it's really this like niceness thing mm. rather than the camouflaging thing. Um, which probably both of those could make someone more palatable. And what the book is about is how those are particularly impacting females because estrogen is a bonding hormone that makes us really super attuned to how other people feel and respond. So Hmm. if someone is in the mask of palatability, then my recommendation is the same for when people are in flea or freezing, which is starting to activate your healthy aggression. Um, It depends on how high your fawn response is or your fitting in response and 
you know, sometimes a fawning response is making someone stay in a abusive relationship, for instance, because mm. it's safer to them to know what that threat is because it's predictable than to have that threat, that threat just roaming around. Um, and I recommend different things for fawning and fitting in, but the, the, it's the small steps of, of having a statement that starts with like, I need blank and being able to say something that you might need and tolerate the fact that that might cause discomfort. But the thing is when the threat is really high, like with a doctor or with a boss or, um, or, you know, if you're in an abusive ish relationship, then that threat is really high because that person could hurt you. That person could, there's fire you, you know, there's like real repercussions is to Mm. be able to understand and notice what your own person, because every, these responses look different for everyone and how we do them is different because we have this idea that it's so obvious or something, because like if you freeze, well, then you like, you stop and you're in a frozen ice sculpture position but we have freezing responses all the time in small ways like i described with the easter situation i was basically in a, a low level free state so i wasn't able to just say right then what it was that i wanted from my family who were all in the same point of view that i wasn't agreeing with mm-hmm. so um if you're in a fitting in response it's like being able to start doing little things that feel that they're true to you, even though they might not be for everyone else. So for some people that's wearing bright lipstick for other people, it's wearing no makeup. Um, For some people that's like experimenting with wearing a mini skirt for other people. It's like wearing a long maxi dress. Those are clothing, but it's still like expression of a willingness to do something that will make you stand out because for some of us standing out, a lot of women I know, they don't want to stand out because they don't know what they'll do with the attention once they attract it. They feel threatened and uncomfortable. And then some people are doing it because they're trying to stand out because they're thriving on that attention. So we have to kind of know ourselves. Like for me, I just had this big event and my friend was like, do you want me to dress you for the event? And I just was like cracking up like, like I'm a celebrity or something like I usually dress myself, but then I just thought, well, that would be fun. Like, why not? And then she picked Mm. out all these outfits for me and they were all amazing. And then I thought, you know, I mean, I'm the kind of person where I would not even buy something new and I would just take something I like out of my closet because I'm kind of thrifty and I like, I feel really safe when I'm saving. And so I would be like, well, I don't depend on that to feel beautiful or sexy. Like why, why do I need something new kind of, but I thought, okay, well let's just give it a try because I also tend to be, I can be really serious and it's like this event is about connection and fun. And so what does it mean about me if I have four outfits and I'm doing outfit changes and (laughs) you know, what is that? What, you know? And so that was for me, that was a way to, stretch my capacity for my own identity and self-perception. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, um, so I laugh a lot when I'm uh, excited about something or something really resonates and I just, yeah, I can see, I could actually see you, um, yeah, just turning up 
you know, completely not even paying attention necessarily to, you know, paying more attention on the connection than the outfit changes. But, um, yeah, that just, yeah, and that's a really, that's a really practical way that, um, that women in particular can start to explore and experiment with um, stepping into their sovereignty and differentiating themselves. And you can do it in such small but symbolic ways. That's what, um, you know, looking at the outside. And I just want to highlight what you said before, um, what you started off saying, which was about the words that you use. So I think you started with saying the words I need. Is that, have I got that correct? When, you, when you're moving to step into your sovereignty, you can start with the words I need. Yeah. And if, you, you can, if you're moving out of fawning, you can say I need. If you're moving out of fitting in, you can say like I stand for or I'm willing to be visible in this way for. Mm. Yeah. Um because the s- the freeze coming out of freeze you're likely to say I exist. Like I'm alive. That's what people mm. say because the free state is you literally feel like at the farthest extent you are you're in a full collapse. So yeah. it's like, "Oh, I'm here. I'm alive." That's what happens when you come out of freeze. When you come out of flight, it's usually like I hear, I'm here. I can stand my ground. Um, I can, I can hold this space, right? Because flight makes you want to lean away, makes you want to yes. move. So, like yes. just being able to hold your hold your stance is is what you might say if you're repairing that. With fight, yes. it's like I matter. Like I, I have agency. I have, I'm, I can. And with fawning and fitting in. Both are like, I belong, but for fawning, it's like, I need, and for fitting in, it's like, I stand for mm. this. Incredibly, yeah, incredibly powerful statements. But you can um, see you- that people are doing things like this all the time on social media, and just because you say those things doesn't actually mean you're doing the repair. It's a, it's an inside-out experience. Uh, so it's helpful to be aware of what your physicality is actually doing. Like how, how, what's your posture? Like, how's your vocal tone? You know, where are you looking? You need the fun. That's, that's why the beginning of the book, instead of starting with sexuality starts with these foundational skills, because you need to be an expert translator of what your system is telling you. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting that you just said that because my next question uh, feels like a segue from what you were just saying about social media. As you say in Call of the Wild, uh, I'll quote unquote, it seems like most of us would rather look good <clears throat> than feel good. We aren't convinced that feeling good could actually be good for us. We aren't convinced that feeling good and experiencing comfort are an important part of wholeness and could also hold information and insight for us end quote. So I'm, I was like, when I sat with that, I went back to that one and I thought, well, can feeling good be captured on a camera or a mobile phone? Or are we taken out of what feels good when there's a known recording of it? And I don't know, is social media, I would just love your perspective on whether social media is a landscape that's compatible with displaying what really feels good in our bodies and to our nervous system. Social media is a tool 
and we can use it in lots of different ways, but it's not just social media. It's just the speed of at which everything happens in this modern society is out of sync with how our nervous systems work. So if you think about like a fisherman or anyone who's living in relationship to the seasons, what is demanded of that nervous system versus what we're demanding of our nervous systems with I mean, on any given day, people are communicating with me via phone, Facebook Messenger, Instagram DMs, emails. I've got like three different emails. You know, it's just such rapid fire potential for communication that we're rife to be in these stress responses because our system, we have to defend ourselves so much against all of this incoming information. And with social media, Obviously, it gives way more opportunity for these default responses, specifically of comparison and these fawning and fitting in responses, which are like this estrogenous specifically tendency to be comparing and noticing what everyone else is doing and how they're looking and what their faces are looking like and what they're saying. On the other hand, there's amazing things that happen on social media. And I do believe that we can give people a felt sense of what regulation feels like in different flavors. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I believe so too. And over the years witnessing you on social media, it's been, um, yeah, it's been really affirming to see you in an ice bath, to see you go hunting, to, to see you in, embodied states and even most recently to see you uh dancing um you're being captured on camera but it's really apparent your focus is not on the camera or at all it's in your experience and in your joy and in the connection that you've got with other people so yeah it's just I was curious about whether and I like what you said it is a it is a tool and it can it can convey it um I was just wondering if, um, yeah, I just, I have the felt, I have the, and I'll take ownership of this, I feel like sometimes I can be in my joy and then trying to capture that joy, things can get lost because the attention, I feel like it's competition for the attention. It's like, wait, this is such a great moment, can we capture it? And then it's like the joy can kind of dissipate when there's a recording of it. Yeah, and I... I mean, my relationship to social media has really been starting off just recording videos of myself talking about different topics. That's how I started on Facebook. And I would just riff on something like anal sex or um, all kinds of topics, just things that I was hearing and putting pieces together and talking to people. And I always would just improvise. I never planned anything, including the Me Too video that I recorded that went viral, which was really where this piece of work that has ended up in Call of the Wild started. Mm. Because for me, I just, I don't do, and this isn't true for everyone, but for me, I just don't do well scripted. And I, I, even this event that I just put on my, one of the event um, people who was assistance was helping me. Like she kept wanting me to like nail down these specific things. And I know I was frustrating her and I was feeling bad about frustrating her, but I was also like, I just don't work this way. Like I've got to see who's there. I've got to see what's happening. And I'm a teacher. 
So I'm used to teaching people. And for me, teaching people doesn't mean throwing information at them. It means knowing them, seeing them, feeling them, and then offering what's present in that moment. And I feel really grateful that I found an online course structure that allows for that because I don't like people are always like, well, do you have a checklist and a PDF and a this? And it's like the times that I've given people the PDF, then they're like, but you didn't talk about this today. And I'm like, yeah, I know because something else was happening. And that's, that was what was important. And I don't like being beholden to have to do something that I said ahead of time. That's not in response to whatever current event is happening especially in the last year when like there's just so much collective grief and suffering is like, Mm. I'm not going to just forge ahead with my agenda and not pay attention to everything that's happening. So for me, social media is also a place to show like I'm aging without Botox and fillers. Um, My mom will be like, God, I saw that video. You looked awful. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, I don't like, I just, I put up there me in all of my, different states. And I don't, I mean, I did, I hired people to be at the party to take pictures and I was actually amazing. There was like, I think 170 or 200 people saying like that at the party. And there were so few people with their phones out. And it really, that really stood out to me because it's been a long time since I've been, I mean, it's been a long time since anyone's been in a space with a lot of people, but even in like a restaurant lately, everyone's on their phones. And my, and someone goes, yeah, because they weren't bored and they actually wanted to be there and not be on their phone. Yes, yes. So it was really like, I get what you're saying. And I know there's a lot of pressure for that because there is just like recording. But I guess I'm, I really am clear. Like I told someone, well, the only, the only reason I'm on Instagram is, is to sell things. And this person was like, well, that's not true. Like you do educating and stuff like that. And it's true. Like I love selling because I just teach while I'm selling. But if I wasn't running a business using Instagram, I just wouldn't be on it for kicks. Like there's no way that I would be spending my time on Instagram. But being that it is a good place for getting a message out and, and sometimes a good place for meeting people, it's cool. But, um, I am also fully prepared for that medium to shift and, Mm. to have a business that's at a place where that's not where I need to be interfacing with people because it's a terrible place for nuanced conversation, which is really what I am about and what I think is where our culture needs to go. Mm. Yeah, completely agree with that. Um, Something that you, oh, at the very end of the book, in your conclusion, you say, what is the call of the wild? It is unconditioned expression. It is an innate power. It is the awakening of instincts. The call of the wild is an invitation to freedom, to hear who you are and be who you are, not who you think others want want you to be or who you think you should be. And I've called this episode The Secrets to Calling in Your Wild. I'm curious what's your current edge with your own wild and what you want to explore within yourself. Hmm. What are the elements of wild that I want to explore? Mm. Is that yeah, the, what's your current edge with your own wild? Or maybe there isn't one, but just what do you? Well, I definitely, segueing from the social media 
thing. I mean, I'm really wanting to build my business in the next six months so that I I'm off social media. Mm. Um, I'm not, I'm not interfacing with it often at all. And that for me is a reclamation of wild because, um, if I let it, I could be on a screen from eight to 10 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go hunting again. So last year I went deer hunting for the first time and I, spoiler alert, I, people are like, did you kill a deer? No, I didn't even see a deer other than one that somebody else in my camp killed. Um, and I went with him to dress her and, and like watch the whole process and help with that. Um, but it was, it's one thing to talk about being a huntress and it's another thing to actually hunt. And to me, it's important to have that connection. I do eat meat. It has been an important part of healing for me, especially postpartum. Mm. Um, ever since I had that revelation, cause I was a 20 year vegetarian, I just knew like, I don't, it's not good enough for me to get meat at the supermarket. Like I really need to be in contact with what I'm doing. So I want to do that. And I'm in inquiry actually, like I ice immersion and breathing was a real rabbit hole in in the best possible way. And we haven't been meeting as a group because of the pandemic. So it's lost a little bit of its like intrigue for me, I guess. And I'm living on the West coast again. So I really, I'm a huge ocean person. I love rowing Hawaiian outriggers and I'm just, I need to find another like outdoor rabbit hole to, to sink myself (laughs) into so that I'm so compelled by that, that I'm, I'm, I'm fixated on my work basically. And so, so that there's something else that I'm fixated on that just takes me away from work because there's just so many things, so many projects I have so many like people to help that, Mm. um, it's, it requires that I like really have this other thing that I want to tend to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I completely understand that. I completely understand that. So, um, so your edge in some ways will be going more into your wild out in the wild and just gently, gently separating yourself from all of your business and your messaging being so prominent on social media. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. I mean, it will just be for me personally, like if we separate me from my business, it's just like creating more and more space for my personal life Yeah, outside of work, which is as a single parent and breadwinner, a challenge, but it's, it's definitely possible. And I think it's even making space for me right now, the wild is about nature and the wilderness. It's not, yes, it is my inner wild, but I'm tending to that all the time um, yeah, because yep. that's been my own healing path and what I'm teaching about all the time. But for me, it's separating from this body of work and having my personal life um, thriving and robust as much as yes. my professional life is. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Kimberly, it's been so good. It's been so, so good to hear you speak today and to marinate in your words. I have no doubt that uh, the listeners of The Secrets Women Keep will re-listen to this one and take notes. And um, the book, the book, 
everyone has to get the book. I think it's coming out. The best that I can make in for Australians is it's coming in mid-May, I from what I can tell. And you just have to, have to, have to get this book, Call of the Wild, and you need to reread it and you need to just, yeah, need to, yes, it's just a must. I'm going into my gushing state. Um, Kimberly, where can listeners find you and, um, and, and feel free to mention any of uh, your programs that we haven't specifically referenced today? Everyone can find me at my website at KimberlyAnnJohnson.com. And you can download the first chapter there for free, KimberlyAnnJohnson.com slash chapter in case you want to dive in and it's not in Australia quite yet. I also was the reader for the audiobook, so you can hear me narrating the book if you'd prefer to listen. Um, if you want to do the work with me, it's my Activate Your Inner Jaguar course, which is KimberlyAnnJohnson.com slash Jaguar. And... Uh, for now, even though we talked all about the socials, for now I am <laughs> on the socials. So you can find me at Kimberly Ann Johnson on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and all of your sharing. Thank you. Yeah. And you can also find me on my podcast, The Sex Birth Trauma Podcast. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yes, definitely. Yes. I hope this episode has contributed to your understanding of your secret self. If you enjoyed it, please share it on Instagram and tag me so that more women can feel seen, heard, and understood. And hit subscribe if you never want to miss a whisper.